Hello, folks, and welcome. Police off the cuff. Real crime stories slash coffee with Cannon. And today I have a special special co-host with me today who usually doesn't do the coffee with Cannon with me, but he's uh, here today. Uh, yesterday we spent a day together at uh, police officer, now detective first grade for all, all time and eternity, Detective Wilbert Moore. Uh, just... An unbelievable spectacle, uh, a police funeral, if you've never been to one. There was police uh, representatives representatives from police all over the country. Uh, it was just it was just heartbreaking, but if the family needs, they need help, of course, and they need support, this going away was just unbelievable. Uh, something you'd have to see to believe it. Um, a lot of people there for the right reasons, a lot of people there for the wrong reasons. The politicians, of course, wear their ugly heads at these events. You know, to get to get a feel of what it's really, really like, I'm just going to play you a bit of we And so these videos were actually taken, taken by uh, Phil Grimaldi yesterday. And uh, it's just amazing. I'm going to share the screen. I'm going to play a little bit of this right now. And it's not a full screenshot, but you're going you're gonna to see this. And it's just incredible to watch. For those listening, these are the police helicopters flying overhead of St. Patrick's Cathedral. As you can see, they're flying in that formation, Billy, and that last helicopter is out of formation, and that signifies the falling, fallen officer that we're uh, paying tribute to. Just unbelievable. If that doesn't give you chills, and as the helicopters flew over, a uh, ceremonial unit had police officer Moore's casket uh, in the street, awaiting to carry it into a hearse with the uh, green and white NYPD flag draped around it. Just uh, a spectacle to see. If you weren't moved by that, uh, you, you probably didn't belong at that funeral. But it was just uh, an incredible thing. And Phil, talk again about the uh, the one helicopter that flew in formation and the one that left the formation. Talk about that. Yeah, the uh, the salute that the NYPD gives to their fallen officers, uh, they do a flyover uh, and the helicopters fly in formation and the last helicopter, the trailing helicopter flies out of formation. Uh, that's to signify that uh, the officer that has fallen, he's fallen out of the formation. Uh, he gave his life and this is a way that we send tribute to the family. Uh, it's obviously done uh, for the family to uh, let them know that their uh, their loved one that laid down their life for their fellow man 
for the city of New York is not forgotten. Um, the tributes that we saw yesterday, Billy, uh, it's just, it's so moving. Uh, we had offices from the United Arab Emirates that we actually. Yeah, I'm going to actually, to. Phil, I'm going to show a picture later, but let's get to another video that you took because I think this, the, the, the pictures speak so powerfully and let's just play this also. I don't hear any volume, Billy. Hmm. Hang on, I'll have to re. I'll reshare I think it. the volume is so important in that in that video. Yeah, it, it absolutely is. Let me uh, let me just see if I I must have not pressed the uh, the volume when I put the um... that that scene. It just gives me uh, chills because I've been through many cop funerals, and when you hear those. I guess hopefully we'll hear okay. Unbelievable. I, I get the chills all over again. Absolutely. Absolutely, Billy. And uh, if you notice the NYPD Pipes and Drums Band, uh, they were in unison. Uh, all Most of those guys, I'm not sure every one of them, but most of the NYPD Pipe and Drum Band are retired guys that show up and, and, and perform a service that, I mean, uh, the family can't get a better send-off for their loved one. And uh, I was talking to Mike Keenan, who's in the pipe drum band for many, many years. And uh, he was let me know that most of the guys are retired, but uh, you saw the way that they, uh, they marched in unison. And I don't think the, the video really captured the amount of, uh, first of all, that was fifth Avenue, Manhattan, Midtown Manhattan, in front of St. Patrick's cathedral. You could hear a pin drop uh, through most of that ceremony uh, that was outside the church. And um, there was just for blocks and blocks and blocks and blocks uh, offices it had to be over 10,000 offices and the amount of motorcycles from out of state. I mean, well, Phil, yeah, I'm, I'm going to show, I'm going to show that this is the last video you took. Okay. And there must be a thousand motorcycles from all Absolutely. police departments from all over the country. And it's just so, um, it was just, just a never ending trail of bikes when we were there. It was just unbelievable. It was it's uh, so, it's so incredible. Yeah. It's so incredible to see. Let me put this on the screen. This will be the last video we play from the funeral, but it's just, I just want all listeners to, to be able to see this and to feel what it was like.
just unbelievable. I mean, that scene, it seemed like there was about a thousand um, motorcycles. And Phil and I, after the ceremony, we watched, the. Um, we were in the church. We were lucky enough to be in the church in the uh, St. Patrick's Cathedral. And I thought that just to commemorate this, uh, that we were here and uh, we mourned the loss of uh, police officer, uh, well, detective now, Wilbert Mora. And I just think you could disarmonous that even in that picture is caught. And uh, then we we took a picture with some officers from the Arab Emirates in, in their green uniforms. And the officer to my left um, uh, is a, uh, I forget, where was he from, Phil? Uh, well, I think he was the United Arab Emirates as well. Okay. The, the so these that, guys, actually, all of them. He may have been. Uh, he may have been a liaison. That's why I guess he was in plain clothes, maybe from the consulate. But uh, those two officers in the green uniform were from the United Arab Emirates. Amazing. And here's a just a still, uh, still photo of the helicopters that flew over St. Patrick's Cathedral, and um, just you know, an amazing tribute. Uh, to police officer slash detective first grade Wilbert Mora, and for his family, uh, the importance of uh, of celebrating his life and uh, just an, an amazing, amazing spectacle. And then, of course, now today we get back we get back to politics and the politics of of gun crime and of guns all over this city and the way that we deal with guns. I know. Uh, Mayor Adams has a, a plan that he's put in place for um, for gun crime. Uh, we've heard it before. Um, the NYPD, we know how to go after guns, but it's a different it's a different game these days. Because as I spoke about when we had uh, retired Chief of Department Louis Anamon on, there's three components to the criminal justice system: the police, corrections, and courts. And if all three of those components aren't on the same page, then the police are spinning their wheels. Uh, the courts, and meaning the DA's office, has to prosecute these guys. They can't be bailing out guys that are caught with guns, guys that are shooting people. They cannot be bailing them out. And I know that's an ideology, but it has to change. Albany passed this law, and the former governor Cuomo signed it without not a lot of thought. And... Um, the, the citizens of this city and the police are now suffering because of these laws. You know, Billy, um, when we were at the uh, wake yesterday, and I know, um, I'm sorry, at the funeral yesterday inside of St. Patrick's Cathedral, um, I know that politics really shouldn't play into the to the eulogy, but um, Police Officer Mora, Detective Mora's sister, uh, made a speech, and um, she gave a bit of a eulogy. And she said something, she spoke in Spanish, but it was, uh, it was translated later on. And she said, how many Jason Rivera's and how many, how many Wilbert Morris have to die before there's going to be a change? Now, I don't think she was getting political. I think she was just making a, a very powerful statement. We lost two officers in the last week. They were killed. Six were shot since the beginning of the year. Uh, the night before uh, yesterday's funeral, an officer was on his way to work. He stopped for a red light. Someone tapped on his window with a gun and tried to carjack him. He got involved in a shooting and he was shot. Thank God he's going to be okay. But it's just out of control. And I think that 
Karina Mora made a very powerful statement. How many officers are going to have to die before there's going to be a change? Now, this, uh, you know, President Biden meeting with Eric Adams today, as we speak, uh, I think it's all political theater. Uh, we know what has to be done. Uh, federal intervention is not going to be the answer. I mean, it might be uh, if they want to talk about trafficking guns, great. I'm all, I'm all for that. They want to stop the trafficking of guns into the New York City area. Fantastic. But we know what has to be done to take the guns that are already on the street and that no one, no one is afraid to carry a gun today. It's amazing. And, and we're going to talk about a shooting that occurred in Brooklyn the other night at Kings Plaza Mall. And it's just a blatant disregard for human life. It's a blatant disregard for carrying a firearm illegally in the city of New York and then whipping it out and just shooting it indiscriminately. I mean, that that shooting, the latest shooting, there's one every minute of every day, it seems like. But the latest one at Kings Plaza is just horrendous. The guy just, he sees a, a, a rival gangbanger and he just opens up. And we'll talk about the, you know, the, the criminal histories on these guys. And you're going to cringe when you hear it. You know, Phil, I just wanted to uh, to also mention, is my audio okay? okay? You, you, it sounds like your mic went out, but I can hear you. You're just a little bit lower than normal. Sounds like okay. your uh, your okay. big mic went out. Yeah, I got to uh, see if I can get that back. Yeah. It's it's not bad. You can continue. I think I got it back on. Oh, you got it. You're good. You're good. All right. Uh, you know, one of the things is... Um, Adams is meeting with uh, President Biden. Uh, let's face it, in the last couple of years, the Biden has never mentioned a thing about crime. He actually was silent when all the riots were going on. He, he, he said Antifa was just a state of mind. He uh, didn't mention Black Lives Matter. They attacked a, a police station in Portland for 100 straight nights. Not a word, not a word. So... They're talking about putting together this federal task force of the ATF, the FBI, and they're worried about ghost guns now. But let me tell you something. We'll welcome all of that stuff. The more reinforcements we can get, the better for attack gun crime. But you must allow the NYPD officers to do their job. Let them do stop, question, and frisk. Let them take the guns. It's not, I'm going to say this ad nauseum, it's not the gun. It's the person that pulls the trigger of that gun. That's what needs to be targeted, not the gun. And the, the sooner the other side learns that, the sooner that will take a bite out of gun crime. It is not the gun. So you could talk about the 95 steel highway of all the guns coming up 95. But unless you do something about the people arrested with the guns, prosecute them, put them in jail, and put them in prison after they get convicted, you're just, you're just blowing smoke. Absolutely, Billy. And, you know, there's the old adage, the horse is already out of the barn. Now, I'm okay with trying to stop a flow of guns coming into New York, but you had years where there's millions of guns on the street already, and you don't have any type of uh, a, a, a reluctance to carry a gun. When you took away anti-crime, you took away stop, question, frisk, when you did the bail reform and, and you just went on and on and on and you showed that police officers, that you can curse in their face and that you could do all of these things and there's really no uh, penalty to pay for it. Uh, guy is arrested two and three and four and five and six times with a loaded firearm, illegal, 
and released without bail. I mean, what kind of a deterrence is that? We need a deterrence. We need the officers to interdict into the areas where these guns are being carried, where these gangbangers are, and try and make arrests uh, for possession of guns. And then, as you said in the beginning of the show, there's the other part of it. We need the prosecutors to hold these people accountable, accountable by putting bail on them, keeping them in jail if they're a danger to, to the community, and then prosecuting the crimes. There's no no reason not to carry a gun today when you're not going to do jail time for it. So why shouldn't they carry a gun? And then they're, they're walking around with these guns and they have absolutely no, uh, uh, no, they don't have any, they're not scared to pull it out and just start shooting. And they don't care who's in the background or they don't care who's around or any innocent civilian that could be hit with a, a stray bullet. They don't think about that. They think about, well, I got this gun and I want to use it. You know, folks, this is Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories. Usually this is a lighter show called Coffee with Cannon where I just have conversations with you guys. But we felt that uh, because of everything that's happening now with the gun crime, with the six cops getting shot too fatally since the first of the year, we had to address this. So uh, you pardon that early in your day you were dealing with a hardcore topic. But yesterday in, in, in Queens, uh, just what Phil was talking about, I'm going to put that on the screen there. Uh and we'll play a little it's of actually this. Actually, Brooklyn, Billy. That's uh, right now. The, there are folks oh, still Brooklyn, waiting to go inside. Many of them ran out, dropped whatever they had in their hands to to get out here. They suffered quite a scare. Here inside Kings Plaza, yellow crime tape is up by the laced up store. The sneaker shop is where police say a group of young men got into an argument. One of them pulled out a gun and started shooting. It sounded so many shots. You would think someone got killed. You know, it was so loud. You know. I just dropped everything and ran. Cops say there were as many as four shots fired. The victim, a 14-year-old, claims he was not involved. He told investigators he was just walking in when he suddenly felt a pain in his leg. I was very sad. I'm 19, 20, so they hear someone a little bit younger than me getting shot at, you know. It's, it's sad. As police swarmed the mall, shoppers were evacuated. Many stood outside waiting to go back in to get their belongings. SWAT team was here as part of the response. I heard loud booms. Like, I'm from I'm from Brooklyn, so you know you hear shots all the time, so I know what a shot is. Employees tell me part of the mall where this happened has an echo, which only made things worse. Anyone in this hallway right here would have thought it was happening right next to them, and it was very, very scary. And that 14-year-old victim was rushed to the hospital. He is expected uh, to recover. We are also told by police that they have three people in custody for questioning, and they've recovered at least two weapons. We're live outside the Kings Plaza Mall. Kevin. Phil, the backstory to that is that one of the guys arrested was out on bail for another shooting. Isn't that correct? Yeah, I have some information on that. Um, that particular news clip didn't show the actual shooting. There's been updated uh, news footage where they showed the video from inside the store. And the main perpetrator who fired the shots, Timothy Briggs, 19 years old, he was out on bail from November 21st. He was arrested with two guns after a high-speed chase. He's out. On, they're saying he's out on bail. I don't know how true that is. He may have been released without bail, but the point is he was arrested just a couple of months ago with not one, but with two guns after a high, high speed chase. Um, the second perpetrator, Jaheem Covington, also 19 years old, he pled guilty in 2019 to a shooting. Okay. He was 17 years old at the time. Instead of jail, they gave him a reform program. The reform program obviously didn't work. He's present with this other 
knucklehead Timothy Briggs, and they're firing shots at the mall indiscriminately at rival gang members. They're both gangbangers. I mean, this is proof positive that the policies that are in effect today, and they want to talk about violence interrupters in these programs, as opposed to jail and incarceration, it's not working. You know, Phil, I wanted to talk about that because one of the things they say they talk about is uh, diversion programs, and diversion yeah. is an alternative to uh, incarceration. And the new Manhattan district attorney, at least, he wants what he calls decarceral policies, that there's no proof that they work. The cities that he points to that have already used them are Chicago, which is like it's it's a bloodbath every single weekend in Chicago, Baltimore, bloodbath, San Francisco, horrendous the, the worst district attorneys, they're all woke. They're all woke DAs. This stuff does not work, all right? I would also like to know, Jumani Williams, who's a uh, a public advocate and also no friend of the police, let's just put it right out there. He's one of the defunders. And now when defunding has become unpopular, it's funny how these politicians put their tail between their legs and pretend that they never said it. But then we just pull up tape from a couple of months ago, and, and there they are saying it. It's just like Alvin Bragg tried to walk away from the policies that he instituted day one. Not totally walk away, but say, that's not really what I meant. Well, you put it on paper. So is it? did you lie about what you wrote on paper? You put a 10-page memorandum to your staff about crimes that you didn't intend to prosecute. So these politicians, just they have to be held accountable. They are politicians. That word is like a dirty word. The other night... Uh, Eric Adams met with Andrew Cuomo. What could that possibly be about? Don't tell me they're all buddies. They just needed to see each other and have dinner. What was that about? Andrew Cuomo is the one who signed the bail reform law. He's the one who has paroled more cop killers than any governor in the history of New York State. So what was the meeting about? Is Adams tough on crime or is he not? If he's tough on crime, he shouldn't be meeting with Andrew Cuomo. And I know he's going to say, oh, we're just buddies and we just had dinner together. But I don't buy it. So somebody from Adam's staff made a statement to the press and said that uh, they didn't discuss politics. They had a friendly dinner together since they had known each other from the past. I mean, that's nonsense. To me, I think it sounds like Andrew Cuomo, who is part of the Democratic machine nationally, was probably delivering a message to Eric Adams about the meeting that's going on today. What that message is, God only knows. But I think it's very suspicious that two days before he's meeting with the president of the United States, he has a meeting with Andrew Cuomo. Uh, and I think that, uh, Bill, you and I and uh, 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 James that we had uh, lunch with yesterday uh, discussed this, that he's probably going to make a resurgence. All the charges were dropped against him. So I think that uh, it's clear that he's still going to play uh, a role in politics going forward. And I just, it makes me cringe to think that Eric Adams, who's a former police officer, who we thought was going to be tough on crime, is meeting with somebody who I consider a lowlife, Andrew Cuomo. <laughs> Let me play a little of this. Mayor stands by his earlier comments that the former governor should have stepped down as he did. Well, a dinner in the theater district. Well, that's either here nor there. I just don't know what uh, Andrew Cuomo's role is in New York State now that he stepped down as governor. He came very close to being prosecuted for sexual, uh, a sexual crime, and now we, we got a—he's still in the political arena. Uh, you know, I, I just find all of this stuff political grandstanding. I think when they asked Governor Hockle 
what are you going to do about bail reform? She didn't want to talk about it. She don't, they think it's the right thing to do. And, and all of a sudden with people getting shot, innocent people getting shot, people getting killed, cops getting shot, cops getting killed, all of a sudden they're concerned about crime. They couldn't have given a damn about crime six months ago, a year ago. They were, they were part of the defunding crowd. And now when they see it's going bad, all of a sudden they have a conscience. You know, in the report that I saw yesterday about uh, the shooting at King's Plaza, which there was one note I left out, the, the uh, main subject, Timothy Briggs, he was purchasing a $900 sweatshirt in cash uh, when that shooting occurred. So uh, th- that in and of itself is quite suspicious. But the reporter questioned state legislators about the bail reform act that we uh, talk about all the time where there's no bail for you know numerous crimes and they said it's not up for discussion they're standing fast on that they're not going to back off on this insane bail reform that Cuomo signed uh, and the new governor, Hochul, she doesn't even want to hear it. So I think we have to call the politicians out. And when we went through uh, one of the shows last week, when the, when the, the two officers were shot initially, um, we had Chief Anamon on and he said, listen, we have to do our job, arrest the people, uh, put it before the district attorney's office. If they don't prosecute, it's on them. I think that's a great strategy that the police department should be taking. And I think uh, police commissioner, uh, Sewell, or I, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it properly, but, uh, or Sewell. Um, I think it's Sewell. Yeah. Sewell. Uh, the bottom line is, is that she needs to take the reins and instruct the officers to go after the guns, make the arrest, whatever has to be done. And if the prosecuting, uh, part of the, uh, the whole equation doesn't occur, then the light will be shined on the different prosecutors in the boroughs. And then maybe it would go up to the state legislators. And when we show that there's no bail and, and these mutts are just running around the street causing havoc, hopefully they could either be voted out or they could change the law because it's ridiculous what's going on, especially in New York. And, and again, Billy, you, you said earlier on, we normally do or you normally do a, a lighter show, Coffee with Cannon. This is very, very close to us. It's near and dear to our hearts that we had to attend a funeral yesterday, and there was a funeral a couple of days ago for two New York City police officers, young kids that were killed in a line of duty, and we just feel very passionate about it, and that's why we're taking the stand today and we're talking about it. And normally, yeah, it is a lighter show, but uh, this is something that there needs to be a spotlight on it, and we can't allow innocent people to be killed, police officers to be killed, uh, people being thrown in front of subway trains over nothing. It's just, it's just out of control. So I think uh, the more that we talk about it and the brighter the light that we shine on it, maybe there'll be some change and maybe uh, some of these politicians will grow a pair and, and and do the right thing about, uh, you know, enforcing the laws that are already on the books instead of changing them and decriminalizing everything. Well, you know, I, I we're not totally, uh, Phil and I are not totally against programs like for kids. Like we always mention NYPD Kids in Boxing, a great program that keeps kids off the street and programs like that, summer jobs, things like that. But these violence interrupters, who are they, first of all? Is it just a way to throw money at like Reverend Al Sharpton, his, uh, na- uh, his National Action Network? I'm sure he's probably one of the violence interrupters. You know, why are they getting public funds? I mean, who are they? How are they qualified to do this type of work? Hiring gangbangers to talk to other guys. How is that? How does that actually work? I would love to know. 
And, you know, when Jamani Williams said, oh, we should include these people in the CompStat meetings, you know, something's first I laughed off. They said, you know, something, yeah, I'd like to ask them some questions. What did you do to earn the public funds you get as violence interrupters? How many hours did you work last week? And what is your, how do you, what is the program to interrupt violence? How many meetings? Who did you meet with? You know, that type of thing, because those are the questions that police ask. They're grilled. They're put on on the spot by their bosses. I want to see these people talk to. How do you justify getting this money if you're not doing anything, you know? Well, uh, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, Bill, but part of the itinerary today for President Biden and Mayor Adams is that after they meet at police headquarters, they're going up to the Bronx to meet violence interrupters. Now, what are the qualifications of a violence interrupter? If they ask the question, some of the answers might be, well, I was in a gang and I shot several people and I was arrested. And so that's going to make you qualified to, you know, be a violence interrupter and, and get this funding. I don't think so. Now there are some programs. I remember years ago, there was a program called scared straight where they took juveniles who were, you know, starting to go off the, the, the beaten path and get into criminal activity. And they would have in a jail, they would do it. They would bring these kids to a jail and you'd have uh, convicted felons, violent people that would yell at them and, and tell them, don't do what I did. And so maybe there's a room for a program like that somewhere in, you know, the system. You know, but, Phil, they actually did follow-ups on that and that didn't work. They, they really? that, did, that would work for kids that were like first-time offenders and they would get scared. But to hardcore kids that are just gangbangers or on the street, they laughed at that stuff. So, it, it, it you know, the follow-up was it didn't work. Let me just play a little bit of the, Eric the Adams. Bo the boxing. Let me just say one thing about the boxing thing. The boxing thing is something that, you know, uh, uh, that Patty Russo and Tommy Dades were involved in. That's something that it's it's a daily thing. So they're, they're pulling these kids out of the street, even if it's for three, four hours a day. That definitely, that kind of a program saves lives. I don't think that there's enough effort or enough emphasis that we put on that. That's really a great program. That's the programs that should be expanded throughout every borough in New York City. Let's play a little bit of Eric Adams' plan for gun violence in New York City. Is dam each river. And the federal government must build one of those dams. That's the flow of guns. We can't remove 6,000 guns last year from the streets of New York, illegal guns, over close to 400 since I've been in office, yet they constantly flow. So I'm asking the president to refund or give an additional funding to ATF, make sure we do a combined effort of city, state, and federal lawmakers, similar to what we did during 9-11 to stop uh, terrorism. Now we just must deal with this domestic terror we're facing. Mr. Mayor, what role will the NYPD play in this? Is it going to be adding more officers to work alongside this strike force or these independent entities? Uh, a combination. Uh, when I met with the president uh, last year after the primary, I shared with him that we're not responding to this level of terror the way we did during terrorism. He sent the message down to the Department of Justice. They were in the meeting and others to say we are going to build the same form of task force here in New York in August was the first version of it. Uh, you saw ATF, FBI, parole probation, New York City Police Department coming together and sharing information. And so NYPD will be part of this. They're there uh, right now, and we're going to continue to expand on it with our new form of uh, policing in the city. Our blueprint to end gun violence points that out. Can we ask you about timing? Because, of course, we need this help today. But how long will it take to actually begin this strike force? 
uh, ours, the, the task force is in place right now. Uh, we want to expand on it. We believe it's going to become the model across the entire country because the gun that is sold illegally in uh, Virginia is ending up on the streets of Chicago, Los Angeles, San Francisco, New York City. And so we must now knit the task force together so we can share the information, go after those illegal gun dealers and look at the laws that are causing some of this violence and overproliferation of guns. See, he just said he's he's spouting the Democratic mantra. Let's go after the gun dealers. No, let's go after the gun users, the gun shooters. Right, right. There's already 320 million guns on the streets of this country. So go after the shooters, not the dealers. But and yeah, yeah, should we go after illegal gun dealers? 100%. But the biggest problem and the way to stop this problem is to go after the shooters. The gun doesn't shoot itself. Guns on our streets. CBS News did a report last night that I'm sure you saw. The Biden administration also has this plan to launch a national ghost gun enforcement initiative. Who's going to handle those cases in the city? And what do you hope to do to get those firearms off the street? That's an additional problem in itself. It is. It is. It is frightening when you add the ghost guns with a potential ruling from the Supreme Court uh, that is going to extend people carrying guns. Uh, you are really putting together a toxic soup of violence uh, that is going to impact this entire country. Uh, these ghost guns right now, we're not clear on the laws in some jurisdictions because these guns are disassembled. Uh, they're not charging them as possession in some areas or don't treat them the same way as a gun that's put together. We need to go to the drawing board, look at the laws that we are play, putting in place to see how does it impact with dangerous shooters on the ground, dangerous guns on the ground, and creating the violence that we're seeing across America and in, in New York. And I wanted to ask you about prioritizing prosecution. The White House is planning to prioritize those of those who sell or transfer firearms used in violent crimes. But how will those cases even be tracked? Will the penalties be increased for those offenders? I believe it's a combination of things. Right here in New York, uh, COVID caused the closing of our court systems for the most part. There's a bottleneck. Uh, when I spoke with the chief judge, uh, she stated we have 4,000 cases uh, that we are waiting to address. Our ask is, number one, expedite DNA testing every gun case in the city. Uh, it is almost mandated to do a DNA, DNA test there's a backlog. Then we need our public defenders to get back in the courtroom. Far too many are uh, staying out of the courtroom. Uh, we made some modifications, but at the same time, we should expedite these violent crimes, particularly gun crimes. And then we have to look at what I believe was an error, uh, tweaking, raise the age of those who are possessing guns. As long as they don't show it in public view, they're not charged in criminal court. That is a big mistake. It's sending the wrong message out there. People believe that they could carry guns in our city. And Mr. Mayor, let me ask you about that, because I think there is growing frustration with exactly what you just talked about. You even saw two families eulogizing slain officers in the last six days that used the pulpit at St. Patrick's Cathedral to talk about a system that is broken. Uh, and I'm not saying it speaks to the morale of the police, the police officers that are that are working and putting their lives on the line each and every day. But how do criminals that get caught committing violent crimes with weapons end up back out on the street 12, 18 hours later? It just seems virtually impossible to conceive. Uh, that's such a great question. And let me tell you what happened. Uh, I say all the time the prerequisite to prosperity is public safety and justice. 
you saw the justice-only advocates devise laws across our country and generally, but specifically in New York. They focus on just the justice part, something I dedicated my life to doing. But they did not have the public safety advocates at the table when we wrote these laws. And if you don't have that, you're going to produce a product that may bring the justice you were seeking, but it is also going to get in the way the public safety that we need. We have to have both. And that's what you heard, heard those family members crying out about. Uh, you can't have a city where 11-month-old babies are shot, six police officers shot, two assassinated, uh, guns are throughout our entire city because bad guys read the papers and they see that these laws are giving them opportunities to carry out their cr criminal uh, activity in our city. Well, well look, uh as some of the people in the chat were saying, just enforce the laws that are already on the books. Let's not reinvent the wheel because you're not enforcing the laws that are on the book. This new district attorney uh, gave his whole 10 page report on what he, he intends not to prosecute, not that he's going to prosecute uh, task force, ATF, FBI, let's all hold hands and sing Kumbaya. But you know something we know the, he, Adams didn't invent how to fight gun crime. It's already been done. It's on the books. Uh, New York City was the safest large city in America for a while under uh, Giuliani, under the Comstat program, under broken window style policing. I think what they're referring to is they want the feel good programs of uh, the carceral policies that put together um, not putting anyone in jail. And let's do uh, diversion programs. Let's not put anyone in jail. Let's let's put them in programs. And that does not work. And I would I'm not totally against it. I'm just saying, as an alternative to, to incarceration, some people need that jail cell. They need to go to prison. And those are the people you cannot have diversion programs for. You know, Billy. Uh, he started to touch on the bail reform without saying it. And I think he needs to call out the governor and the state legislators on that one. That is really one of the big things that uh, might start to change the tide of crime and start to lower crime. Because if you have, you know, a revolving door uh, criminal justice system where they're getting arrested and they're out, like the reporter said, 12 to 18 hours later, there's no deterrence there. And they're right back out on the street to commit more havoc. And we saw that during uh, a lot of the riots that took place uh, two summers ago, where they were being arrested for, you know, rioting or whatever. And they were out within a couple of hours back out on the street to, to commit more violent acts. So, you know, Phil, good point, because those 4,000 cases that have a backlog, I bet you they'll plea all of them out just to get rid of them. Yeah, they're, they're not going to prosecute them, you no, know. Of course, of course, they're, they're going to say that they were civil disobedience, and they'll 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 say it's part of a protest, and and they'll they'll water it down to get rid of it, like you just said. But the bottom line is, if you have the right to protest, yes, one hundred percent, you do not have the right to throw a rock, break a bottle, or light a fire. Once you do that, you now have crossed over from a protest to a riot. And it needs to be prosecuted. We, we've been through that a million times on the show. And uh, I think that let's see what after today, when he meets with President Biden, what his tone is, what his posture is. If he continues the, the same line that he was uh, in that last uh, clip that you played, if, he, if his 
if his posture is the same or even more going in that direction, then I think we have a possibility that we can be going in the right direction. But uh, I want to see what his posture is going to be and what his tone is going to be after the meeting today. And I would love to see uh, when they meet with these violence interrupters, what uh, what effect that's going to have on everything, uh, the situation that's going on in New York City. Exactly. You know, folks, I've said it numerous times, and I think Philly has said too, is that we're rooting that Eric Adams does a great job because we 100%. love New York City and we want New York City to be safe for our families, for ourselves. I mean, you just think of driving around in New York City, that that crime carjacking was a crime that we put behind us, you know, from the 90s. It's back. It's back now. And, uh, you know, that's a scary thing. Someone could stick a gun in your face and take your car. In fact, in the 90s, they made it a federal crime. It was so it was an epidemic. Folks, if you're not subscribed to Police Off the Cuff, please go on our YouTube. It's free. Hit that subscribe button. Give us a thumbs up and uh, ring that bell. And if you want to uh, financially contribute to us, we have a Patreon where you can join with three levels. We also have a YouTube membership with uh, five levels. And the people in the in the chat with the green font, they're members of the Police Off the Cuff family. We appreciate you guys. We give them additional contact content. Uh, C.R. Patrick is an example. Phil Fameo, my God, they live. They, you like Phil better than me. Look at this. Yeah, I guess you like this coppers in the kitchen episode. But uh, and folks, t- tonight we have a, a really great show at nine o'clock tonight, and it's part two of um, Gangsters, uh, the last gangster, which was a show. Here's the flyer for it. Uh, the Last Gangster was a 2020 episode last week, and we're, we brought in some mob experts. Michael Vecchioni, a uh, retired uh, Brooklyn district attorney who was the chief of rackets, and Tommy Dades, a retired uh, NYPD first detective who was like an organized crime encyclopedia. So we're going to pick up uh, where we left off on Tuesday and do part two of this, and we're going to deal mostly with Sammy the Bull and the deal that the government cut him for 19 murders and the prosecution and the way some people say he's a rat, he would describe himself as a cooperator. And after having been taken part in 19 murders, he is a free man to this day. So we're going to speak about that tonight, and it should be a really interesting show. Phil, final words. Final words. Uh, just a little note about tonight's show. Yeah, the cooperation part of uh, Sammy the Bull's agreement and all the cooperators going forward. I think there's going to be a great discussion on that. I'm really looking forward to tonight's show. Uh, final words regarding today's show. Um, Detective Wilbert Mora and Detective Jason Re- Rivera, may they rest in peace. Uh, may their families be blessed by God. And I hope they can find some uh, semblance of peace. Uh, it was very moving tribute. Uh, the NYPD uh, provides a tremendous send off when an officer is killed in the line of duty. I think we saw that in full display yesterday, Billy. And uh, I just hope and pray that uh, we don't lose another member going forward. And uh, I hope that nobody uh, is, is hurt or killed in gun violence or any violence in, in New York City. Uh, I just hope and pray that we can turn this around and get our city back. I think all the tools are right there. And I hope that, uh, you know, the, the people in charge can uh, implement and start to bring down crime and, and make it where we once had it not long ago. Um, and uh, that's it for now. Folks, 
Thank you so much for listening. This was Coffee with Cannon, and I brought in my uh, straight out of Brooklyn co-host today, Phil Grimaldi. Uh, until tonight at 9 p.m., have a safe day, and looking forward to seeing you guys tonight at 9. Stay safe, everyone. One episode.